Welcome to the Great Lakes Equity Center Equity Spotlight Podcast. This podcast series will highlight organizations and individuals in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana who are working to advance equitable practices within school systems. This is the second episode in the Centering Equity and Educator Effectiveness podcast series. Each episode in this series will focus on demonstrating equitable practices in curriculum, instruction, or the learning environment. This is the second episode in the Centering Equity and Educator Effectiveness podcast series. Each episode in this series will focus on demonstrating equitable practices in curriculum, instruction, or the learning environment. My name is Gail Cosby. I am a graduate assistant with the Great Lakes Equity Center, and I will be hosting today's podcast. Today, we will be discussing the support of LGBTQ students by creating safe, inclusive, and responsive learning environments with Dr. Molly Blackburn. Dr. Molly Blackburn is a professor in the Department of Teaching and Learning at The Ohio State University. Her research focuses on literacy, language, and social change with particular attention to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth, LGBTQ, and the teachers who serve them. She has published in journals such as Reading Research Quarterly, Research in the Teaching of English, and Teacher's College Record, among others. She is the author of Interrupting Hate, Homophobia in Schools, and What Literacy Can Do About It, and the co-editor of Acting Out, Combating Homophobia Through Teacher Activism. Welcome, Dr. Blackburn. Thank you for speaking with me by phone today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking looking forward to talking to you. Thank you so much. So we'll jump right into some questions for our audience. Could you describe some of the challenges and issues that students who identify as LGBTQ face? Yeah, I'll start by saying that um, some LGBTQ youth are doing quite well, but there are those who are experiencing challenges, um, and they experience a whole wide range of issues. So some of those um, issues kind of included uh, verbal and physical assaults, or some people experience isolation and exclusion. Some experience um, a failure to be represented in their curricula at schools. Um, Some LGBT youth get kicked out of their religious communities and or their homes. Um, Some consider suicide ideation and or abuse drugs as a result of hostile environments, including schools, but also religious communities and homes. Um, So there's a whole wide range of challenges and issues that these young people face. Okay, thank you for that explanation. Uh, Could you tell our audience the meaning of the word heteronormativity and how that word um, can affect students who identify as LBGTQ? Um, Sure, I'd be happy to. um, If you are familiar with the term microaggressions, you can kind of think about that as I'm describing it, but um, heteronormativity is either the assumption that everyone is straight or and cisgender, or the implicit belief that being straight and cisgender is better than being LGBTQ, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, or queer. Um, it's often subtle, and it's harder to put your finger on, but it can really have a big impact on people, particularly LGBTQ people. So, um, for example, when people assume that everyone is straight and cisgender, 
um, and no one is kind of calling that into question, it can make LGBTQ people feel like they are totally alone in their desires and feelings, which results in the isolation I described before. Um, and similarly, when people believe that being straight and cisgender is better than being LGBTQ, it can make LGBTQ people question their value or worth in the world. Okay. How can we as educators work to confront heteronormativity? Oh, good question. Um, so educators can work to confront heteronormativity, well, first by looking um, for and disrupting it in themselves. So you just kind of do reflections on what you see yourself doing that kind of reifies heteronormativity. Um, so uh, in disrupting it, they can model for other people um, how to do the same. So, for example, if educators should never assume that their students are straight, cisgender, or, or homophobic, that's not something we see in classrooms a lot. Um, so educators should not ask students whether they have boyfriends or girlfriends. Instead, they should ask like, if they're dating anyone or taking anyone to the dance or whatever is appropriate in the situation. Um, I'm not saying teachers have to have that conversation necessarily. Um, but I'm, like, I'm teaching in a high school class right now, and I ask everyone to state their preferred gender pronouns at the start of class to show that I'm not assuming that I can inter interpret someone's gender identity based on their names or like, the, their styles. Um, and still, I try not to assume that the pronouns are fixed. Um, so when I pick up on things that make me wonder whether I'm using the correct pronouns, I do a quick check-in with my students. So like, I've been using the feminine pronouns with you, um, but I noticed your friend used they, them, there. Should, you know, which would you prefer me to use? Um, because in talking with a lot of um, uh, uh, LGBT young people, what I've heard is that their identities <clears throat> shift and they don't want to be kind of pigeonholed in one or the other. And so I try to allow for that in the ways I address my students. Okay. Thank you. That's, that's good advice that I think educators can universally apply in their interactions with students. Um, recent studies have shown that there's a lack of an appropriate interventions um, at school when students who identify or that are perceived to identify as LGBTQ, they sometimes experience verbal or physical harassment due to their perceived sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Um, in your opinion, what are ways that educators can create safe, inclusive, and responsive learning environments for LGBTQ students? Well, to start with, the hate that their experience must, must be interrupted. But it also careless language needs to be interrupted as well. So of course educators need to stop students from using words like faggot, but they also need to interrupt people using the phrase, like, that's so gay, to criticize something. Even though it doesn't feel as like, venomous, it still um, has a negative impact. Um, but those things are pretty reactive. So um, in terms of like proactive things that educators can do, they can post rainbow stickers or pink triangle stickers in their room, acknowledge the, same, the sexuality of people in their fields who experience same-sex desire. So, for example, stating that Langston Hughes was gay. And whenever it's appropriate, curricular inc inclusion um, can let student, LGBT students know that they matter. So talking about the Stonewall riots when talking about significant social movements in the mid-20th century, for example, or naming Bayard Rustin when talking about the civil rights movement. Another thing that I hear young people talk about a lot is not wanting to be organized by gender, whether they're lines or competitions or whatever you're doing in 
your classroom and school. Um, this can be a really difficult practice for those students who don't experience their gender in binary terms or those who identify with a gender opposite a one that they were assigned at birth. Um, it can really be difficult for them. So that's another way that um, educators can help create safe environments. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common in the elementary grades, I think, in my experience. Yes. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so moving to a policy-making level, um, what are some ideas that you have um, that policymakers or school administrators can demonstrate um, equity for LGBTQ students? Oh, there's so much work to be done here. Uh, they can make sure that enumerated language is in their anti-bullying policies. And you can go and go as like big as you can on this. So if it's easy to get, and by enumerated language, I mean by listing out the particular populations of concern. Um, if it's easy to get enumerated language in your school policy, aim for your district policy. If your district's on board, argue for it at the state. Because just because your school will treat LGBTQ rights without right without enumerated language doesn't mean that the schools in your area will do the same or just because the current principal gets it doesn't mean the next one will. Um, so having the enumerated language in the policy is really important. Um, another thing I hear again people talk about a lot that's really important is to make sure there's a gender inclusive bathroom and changing area. I can't emphasize this enough. I've talked with so many trans and gender creative kids who will not drink water before or during the school day to ensure they won't have to use the restroom or who come up with all sorts of excuses to avoid changing um, for gym class, for example. So this is one of the things that's really imperative if you want to make your schools decent places for trans and gender creative students to learn. Okay, thank you. Um, could you tell us what is an ally and what are some ways that educators can be allies? Great question. Um, so GLSEN, which is the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, um, defines ally. I like their definition. Um, and they define it as anyone who speaks out and stands up for a person or group that is targeted and discriminated against. So when we're talking about LGBTQ communities, an ally is any person who supports and stands up for the rights of LGBT people. So it can be LGBT, uh, LGBT people can be allies within their community, but so can people outside of that community. Um, and educators can be allies by recognizing and interrupting homophobia and transphobia, as we talked about before, rejecting heteronormativity, as we talked about before, including LGBT people in their curricula and conversations, facilitating the efforts of LGBT students to make their school and lives better, so helping young people do it for themselves as opposed to doing it for them, um, and also to recognize the kind of um, intersectional um, dimensions of LGBT students' identities, so recognizing that race and religion and class and all sorts of things um, make uh, language and ability make a difference in how they're experiencing their LGBTQ identities. Um, so just to remember that when you're working with um, young people. Mm, that, that is important. Thank you. That's great advice. Thanks. Where can educators who are looking to learn more? Um, so for those who maybe have listened to this podcast and and want to continue the work of, um, you know, that interruption that you've talked about, where could they go um, to find resources for themselves or maybe to share with their students? Great, yeah. The, um, well, in, part, in terms of if, 
educators are looking for examples of how this work looks, I would suggest um, a book called Acting Out, which is a book that a teacher inquiry group that I'm a part of wrote about their own experiences trying to combat homophobia in their classrooms and schools. And so if that's what people are looking for, I think that's a, a decent resource. But if we're if educators are looking for resources to share with their students, for example, GLSEN, which I mentioned before, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, has a resource-rich website at it's glsen.org that has materials um, geared at all sorts of different levels that I think would be really useful for teachers. Um, it's also, it, it's worth learning about local LGBT youth centers in your area. So if um, you you can look up online to see if there is one in your area, and what your area is might, you know, should be construed broadly because they're not everywhere. But um, oftentimes they're um, in uh, cities, so that if there's a, you know, if you're not in a city but you're near one, it might be worth looking there because those centers have um, typically have resources online, but also people that kids can connect with if that's what they need. Okay, thank you very much for that. And just to um, repeat, because I found this website to be immensely helpful as well, it's uh, glsen.org, O-R-G, um, and they do have many resources, and I think they're really um, qu quite helpful in terms of the research that they've done as well. Um, yeah, you know, I'm so glad you spelled that out. Thank you for doing that. Um, I think that they have also gotten, GLSEN has gotten more and more um, nuanced work over the over the years. So like um, their older surveys, for example, didn't foreground race and then they wove in um, racial dimensions to their work and then focused on trans populations and focused on rural communities and also um, uh, have pulled in, have really brought to the fore trans issues. And so Glisten, um, I think, has done really remarkable work about getting better and better at what they do. Okay. Dr. Molly Blackburn, thank you for ta taking the time out to scratch the surface with us and our listeners, and hopefully we have inspired our listeners to um, dig a little deeper on this issue. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your great questions and your time as well. Thank you. To find out about other Great Lakes Equity Center podcasts and other resources, visit our website. To subscribe to a podcast, click on the podcast link located on the Great Lakes Equity Center website at www.greatlakesequity.org. The Great Lakes Equity Center is funded by the U.S. Department of Education to provide technical assistance, resources, and professional learning opportunities related to equity, civil rights, and systemic school reform throughout the six-state region of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. The contents of this presentation were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. This podcast and its contents are provided to educators, local and state education agencies, and or non-commercial entities for the use for educational training purposes only. No part of this recording may be reproduced or utilized in any form or by any means, electronic or mechanical, including recording or by any information storage and retrieval system without permission in writing from the Great Lakes Equity Center. Finally, the Great Lakes Equity Center would like to thank Indiana University, 
School of Education, as well as Principal Investigator Dr. Kathleen King Torius and Co-Principal Investigators Dr. Brendan Maxey and Dr. Tishun Nguyen for their leadership and guidance in the development of all tools and resources to support Region 5.